is going on anyway? Hello, and welcome to What is Going On Anyway? With me, your host, Anne Headley, where I use the I Ching and other forms of divination. I try to bring my own sense of channeling into this as tools to have a conversation with the invisible unknown through two-week cycles of the new and full moon phases. So every two weeks I take a pulse, which is funny because I don't really know how to take pulses. I was having that conversation with my sister. She said, oh, just try. You could learn how to. Um, and I'm talking about this Ayurvedically. You can read pulses and sort of understand what's going on in the body, just like you can read tongues and eyes and so there's all kinds of ways of gathering information that seems to be maybe invisible but with the right perspective you can gain clarity and that's what I'm trying to do here with this podcast use all of the tools that I have available to me to take a sense a feel of what does this two weeks have in store for us? What does this new moon cycle mean to me, to us collectively? So let's begin. I'd like to start with describing the wind outside right now or the weather outside right now. It, it, it started off this morning and I'm located in Maine, USA. I don't know where you're listening from. It started off this morning. I woke to a beautiful pale pink sky and then it started snowing, kind of big flakes. It was really beautiful. And then the snow cleared into a pretty bright blue sky day with some nice clouds and the wind picked up after the snow left and it's been very windy today. But there is a sense or a promise of this spring equinox ahead. And this new pink moon in March has a lot of promise because the new moon and the equinox are right next to each other. The equinox, I think, officially begins the 20th um, and then the new moon is on the 21st. Astrologically, it sounds like this is a rather dramatic week. I don't know if it, I don't really know what that means. It's a lot of new stuff, new energy. Um, I'm hearing that it's going to be a fresh start and the questions that will come up will be, what can you do with what you have right now? How can you begin? Which I think is the question of spring another planting season has begun what seeds did you save what do you have available to you a lot of times I go out in the garden and I ask the question what survived and what is self-sowing so in my greenhouse I have tatsoi and kale that just dropped from seeds some mustard greens and there's always chickweed that comes up, so there's always a kind of wild green to be foraged as well. A lot of folks around here love eating dandelions. Just the very first dandelions can be sweeter than bitter. Um, so there's all that promise and energy and engagement with nature in a whole new capacity. Um, there's going to be a uh, Pluto is changing signs and I guess that's a big deal because the last time Pluto changed signs was 2008. So that doesn't feel very promising, does it? But hmm, maybe something will feel different. Um, and so I'm feeling all of that enthusiasm and that energy for the newness, the possibility. And I'm a real sucker for it'll be better. <laughs> no. Like, I just love hearing that things are going to get better. Um, it kind of gives me a sense of like, um, what is it? It's like a validation that it's been hard, 
and I keep needing to hear that because I ghost my, is it ghosting? I gaslight my own self and I'm like, gosh, why are you having such a hard time? Why can't you do what you said you were going to do three years ago? And, uh, so I'm hopeful that I will have the feeling of integrity. And I know that's tricky to say, but what I mean is that I, I'm hoping that I feel that sense of urge to complete the things that I want to complete, but I feel it all the way through my body. And I'm not only doing it because I think I should or because I said I would, but that I feel it all the way down into my pelvis, that I feel it out through my feet, that yes, this is right for me and I want to do it. But it does bring me back to the idea of maybe there is a smaller step that I can take towards some of my ideas and hopes and dreams and creativity and that it may not be the big thing right away, but I may have that sense of joy and buoyancy in the changing season. So, you know, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere right now, you're not experiencing spring, which has all that promise, but there is a certain joy, isn't there, of the season changing and the being able to let go of a certain way of being and shifting to a new way of existing with the season. So I did talk a lot about everything, everywhere, all at once last time, and I just have to say it again because I watched the Oscars this year, even though I usually don't. I usually wait for the next day, and I did all the kinds of things. I had to sign into YouTube TV and get a free trial and then cancel the free trial um, because I don't want to pay for it, but I really did want to watch the Oscars. I was just so invested because I felt like they are going to win everything. And so I watched, I stayed up way too late and they did, they won everything. Um, and so I think the takeaway from that is how, uh, what I got from watching the whole thing and listening to all of the acceptance speeches and not just from the movie, everything, everywhere, all at once. I kept hearing collaboration used, especially with that movie. They talk about it's not it's not one person. It's never one person. The award belongs to everyone because these magnificent creative processes don't happen. I mean, we've all watched credits that go on and on. Every single one of those people is important to the production of of such a thing. And so I kept hearing collaboration. Um, everyone matters in a creative process. I also interestingly noted how many specifically mothers were being thanked and it just made me cry every time. <laughs> and I think because uh, it's such a special job and, and often a thankless job and, but, I, but I know it's real and so when I heard them thanking their mothers, I, could, I just felt it like shock my heart. So that was, that was nice. <laughs> it feels like, uh, it felt like to me kind of a nod of recognition personally. <laughs> I was taking it personally as a mother for all that intensive and generally invisible labors involved in birthing and raising children. And uh, it's just a special connection to um, that whole, that path, that choice. And of course, of course, mothering is not just a biological thing. You know, we mother projects and we mother our friends. And oh, I need all those mothers. I need all those mothers out there that have offered mothering to me. But more than that, to me, it feels like a recognition. And what I mean is that I often look for little clues. There are th things that will happen and I and they'll sort of light up to me. And as they light up, I think, oh, is that a little message? Is that something for me? Is that something for me to share? 
Um, so it feels like, this feels like something, how recognizing how we're supported and making that important, making that known, speaking to that seems special. It seems like something that we're meant to do, to pay attention to. So I'm sort of seeing this as a theme, this declaring out loud all those things which are nurturing and necessary and supportive to our doing well and our thriving. So before I even consult the oracle here, I'm thinking about how we offer validation and being known to people in our circles that we may not even necessarily think are our chosen circles. But sometimes it can be as simple as introducing a friend or a neighbor to another person in a way that they can hear how you see them with your admiration and your respect. We can do that so often. It's a kind of currency, you know, in a way. And I don't mean that, I don't mean transactional, but it's like a small gift. And it can mean so much. And there's quite a lot of benefit to being thoughtful and kind and generous in the ways that we declare our connections to each other. And I saw that in that, in the acceptance speeches. The other day, I had a friend remind me of something funny I said that I had completely forgotten about. But I was so proud that I made her laugh once. And um, I think we need our friends to remind us of how we've affected them. Um, it's particularly important when to me because in a breakup I was told that I wasn't funny and it really hurt <laughs> and um, to have a friend verify and validate that I'm funny to her it helps that that wound heal it's like here let me stitch that for you she had no idea that she was helping me stitch that wound but it was very healing for me and I'm thinking you know into this new moon in March I'm wondering about the tangible ways to feel connected to our circles of people that we choose, the ones that we don't choose, and to our purpose. How do we connected to our purpose and to everything that has transpired before, which brings us or holds us rather in this present moment. I know it can be tricky about using that word purpose and I don't mean it like that we have a purpose and we should know it or that we need to create a purpose statement or something like that I mean those are fine I mean our purpose just like our being the fact like let's just go back to the if you've ever been around a newborn they have a kind of purposefulness to them they have a whole unique individual purpose for being here and they never have to do anything and that's what I mean by purpose I just felt like I needed to clarify that but going back to me again how about we go back to me <laughs> I particularly have this desire to be known and validated now I talked about this last time because I was so um, encouraged by Cornell West saying that's actually, you know, that's not personal, Anne. He didn't say it like that, but that's how I heard it. That's not personal, Anne. That is actually a, a true need for humanity to be known and validated. And I think that maybe we should be asking this from our partners and from our friends and from our colleagues, right? Like we shouldn't have to do some major thing or win an Academy Award to get this kind of reciprocity, this sense of meaning by fitting into the places that we find ourselves. 
Now, for me, I really actually do this in my practice, my experience, my relationship with nature. I locate myself. I name what I see around me. And I, I feel the way that I fit into that. So I can name the gray sky, the setting sun, the wind moving the trees. And I locate myself here in my studio, talking to you. And I feel the rightness of that. I just fit here. When I'm outside, I can feel how I fit next to a tree or sitting on a boulder or laying near the brook. I can feel that validation. Or maybe I'm open to that validation that always exists. But with people, I'm still working out old wounding patterns. I'll actually say to people, you don't have to, or I'm fine, or it's okay, or even worse, I will um, say, I understand why you might do this because it could be this and this and this. I, I don't ever find myself doing that with trees. <laughs> you know, I ask, they respond or not. Sometimes I think it's me not hearing them, but I don't do that thing with them of having a desire for connection and then covering it up with a kind of hyper independence. And I do do that with people as if like with people, I'm already sure my needs won't be met. So I'm wondering here and I'm wondering for myself, but I'm also wondering bigger I'm wondering how can we offer and receive what we need? And I think the only answer to that is to practice. Practice asking for simple things. And interestingly, this brings up questions of consent, doesn't it? And that can really enrich relationships. The conversation, I think, maybe needs to get really regular. Consent is a thing that we can practice a lot. Do you have time to listen? Will you give me a hug? Will you go over this idea with me? Would you like to give me some reassurance? I could use some right now. And without risking the relationship, you know, like if somebody says, I just, I can't right now, I love you. <laughs> Maybe later when I'm not, don't have my hands in the dishwater, something like that. Dropping assumptions is so nice because it lets us off the hook too. Like everything can be looked at from many perspectives. And real freedom is knowing that even from our unique vantage point as individuals, we can still find so many angles of perspective. I just personally find this fascinating. And that's part of why I like Byron Katie's The Work. If you know me, you've heard me talk about this because I, it was kind of life-changing for me. She has this method of turning situations around and finding multiple ways of seeing one incident. It's a kind of practicing flexibility. So, I'll ask several questions often in opposition to each other and I'll find some things that feel true to me that I wasn't addressing before. So if you're interested in knowing more, you can just look up thework.com and there are free worksheets and you can sort of get started on it right away. But what you'll do is take a judgment. Now, I love this because my lineage is a kind of spiritualism that believes judgment is not mine to have. Uh, so I've been running from it, but secretly <laughs> I've been imbibing my judgment my whole life, like a closet judgmentalist. Um, so Katie, she liberated me to 
judge away and use that as a point of entry into self-inquiry. And that's still really powerful for me. It allows me to be even more friendly with my own intuition because I can question everything and then feel my way into what is true for me. And it doesn't have to be true for anyone else. I don't have to explain it because this inquiry draws me to my center. And I can almost feel it like an embodied sense of balance. You know, have you ever felt that when something feels true and it's, it's light and, and balanced at the same time, it doesn't have that weight of uncertainty, it feels true. <laughs> you can really see how the work works for me. So let me give you an example. Um, we all know divorce is a traumatic and stressful thing. It brings up all the stuff. And my biggest judgment around the ending of my marriage was that I was betrayed. You know, there was this vow until death do us part. And there was this huge betrayal that my ex wanted out of this vow that we made. <laughs> I was so puritanical in a way. I mean, it was like in me, I was so devoted to this vow protecting me. So I would start with, and look, I did s hundreds of turnarounds around all of this stuff. I needed a lot of inquiry into this situation. I still need a lot of inquiry. And I've almost gotten to where I do it naturally, like, oh, I'm just full of some judgments right now. Let's quick give a little brush off and turn around and clean it up. So I would start with, he betrayed me. Um, and then I'd ask, is that really true? Really, really true? And then I would try it out. He didn't betray me. I betrayed myself. I betrayed him. And I can think of all the ways all of these statements are true. You know, I, I betrayed myself by not paying attention to my own needs. He didn't betray me because he was being honest. I betrayed him by not showing up fully. You know, I can, you can do this a lot. You can find a lot of ways into it. It's really hard sometimes to find ways into it when you're devoted to your judgment. And so it's really a nice way for me to get flexible around judgment and get like creative around judgment. So I can go through there and I can choose which of these feels that way that I feel an inner balance, like light and, and clear, but, but rooted. So all of this, it becomes a longer conversation. And my judgment loved these conversations because she feels so smart and, and she's also so shut down by me. So we get to enjoy each other and it's kind of a great relationship. And I think my point is, if I have a point, is that we can start to question how we are in relationship to ourselves and then whomever we find ourselves with. And this can be the way that we really start to enjoy connections with each other post-pandemically. Like I don't have a, a method. I just mean that we can open ourselves to see things differently. You know, so many of us weren't even satisfied pre-pandemic. You know, this whole thing about like getting back to normal when we didn't like normal. It was kind of like when I got my divorce and I, there was this little girl part of me that was like, I just want to feel safe and be married again. But that wasn't really, really what I wanted. I just wanted to feel good again. And I couldn't imagine what life had in store for me. So this pandemic has been this kind of like enormous reset. It's a way of coming home to our inner self too. And actually literally staying home a lot more. So now as we emerge into another year, there are big questions. 
and also, you know, emerging into another year. I know you might be thinking like, oh, it's March, but a lot of folks think, <laughs> okay, this is my astrology people again. I like to listen to them and I'll like find people on YouTube and um, on Instagram and, but they're all saying you might as well think of March and spring this year as the real beginning of the year. Like we're really going to feel that sense of a new year. So I'm going with it. Um, and as we go into this new year, this, let's just say new season, there are big questions about maintaining our inner spaces while connecting outwardly. And as I ask the Oracle, I think I'd like to continue with this kind of questioning. How do we proceed as we move into this next two week cycle? What is best for us to consider and ponder and keep in mind as we go from the new moon into the full moon these two weeks. And there's always the consideration with a new moon. What's new? What are you planting? What are you creatively beginning now? I like starting new habits on new moons like daily walks or a meditation practice something that I want to bring in for myself. And so here's our reading for the new pink moon in, what's it in again? I think it's in Aries. Oh goodness. Should I have to, I actually have to look it up. Yes. <laughs> it's in Aries. Okay. There's one little thing that I want to throw in before the I Ching Oracle. I want to ask you, what would you name your creative space? Like, I know everybody has different places that are their creative spaces. I was teaching a kids class recently and asked the students to introduce themselves, like with a name of their choosing that had something to do with nature. So I said, my name is Sky. And everyone said, hello, Sky. And another body said, my name is River. And we said, hello, River. And then we had like wind and snow and boulder. You get the idea. And actually it was quite profound to name myself. I found that I was moved by that and being greeted that way, even if it was only for this moment in time. And so I have a kind of invitation for you, which is, what is your name? If you could choose some part of nature to describe yourself, or it may not even be nature, but if you could choose a new descriptor. And because I'm pondering this myself, what is the nature or spirit of your creative space? And I know, again, for some people, that is just their car when they're these few moments of driving without anybody else in the car and that their, their thoughts can go or the shower. Some people it's the kitchen table. I'm one of the folks lucky enough to have, I have a whole studio dedicated to creativity and what's the name or what's the spirit or can you, can you feel your way into what that is for you? And I've been thinking about this for years because a long time ago, I had this lovely woman come to the studio and she gave me a massage. And one time after that, she came for like three times, something like that. She said, a, a tiger lives here. And it was sort of like being six years old again. Immediately, I was in that pretend space. And my response was like, I know. But I had never really thought of it before, but I was like, yeah. And I, and I got so excited. And I said, have you seen her? What does she look like? And I had never, <laughs> I don't know. It was like a new consideration that there was a tiger living in my studio. And I got so excited about it. And I just thought maybe we have these kinds of energies around us that we could participate in more so it's just a query for you what does your creative space have what is it how does it speak to you is there something that you could you could ponder over that
We finally arrived to our oracle reading with the I Ching. And look, I know some of you know me and are like, why do you need to use the I Ching? Why couldn't you just do it? <laughs> because I talk to animals and play around pretty seriously with my intuition. And I'm not sure if it's true that I don't have the confidence for that or if it's, I have this incredible respect for the I Ching and what it's taught me over the years. And I think, I think I just want to honor that as a way of diving in further to learning about questions, answers, inquiries, judgments, flexibility in thinking. The I Ching has given me opportunities to see things differently that I didn't have just with me and my own way of perceiving things. So let's dive right in. The reading that we got, the hexagram that we got for this next two week cycle is uh, 38 and it's contradiction, opposition. Again, I feel this sort of trepidation before I throw it, like it feels so important, <laughs> which is kind of silly when I think about it, but it's just a feeling that comes over me, like this really matters and I got to get it right. So I'm going to read to you. I have four interpretations that I'm using. Gosh, I don't know if it matters to you to know which one, but the first one that I'm using is the I Ching workbook by R.L. Wing, just in case you're into this kind of stuff. I just didn't like getting contradiction and opposition. I was like, this is spring, it's expansion. But I'm going to read this to you because um, it started to make more and more sense as I was reading through it because I pre-read it so I'd have a sense of it. There is a strong sense of contradiction at work in the current situation. It may be a matter of opposing viewpoints, persons who are working at cross purposes to one another, or an inner duality that brings indecision. Side note, I have been feeling that, that inner duality, that indecision. You must now gain an understanding of these divergent forces and better accord yourself with the times. Great achievements are out of the question since they cannot come about without complete cooperation and alignment. Only small endeavors and gradual influences will meet with good fortune. And I like that coming back to the very beginning when I was hearing uh, Channing Nicholas said, take a small step forward where you are with what you have. And that's all that's asked of us in this little cycle of time. In spite of the contradiction presented by opposing ideologies and political matters, there's a possibility for ultimate unity. In fact, the kind of unity that develops from contrasting forces is often more significant than allegiances that occur casually and without forethought. Therefore, this existing polarity may very well create the ideal conditions for unanimity. Do not become impatient or reactionary. Instead, make gradual attempts to overcome political estrangement. A little diplomacy can now go a long way toward eventual order and cooperation. I mean, that for me is my greater hope for the kind of political climate we find ourselves in the United States. I'm going to read more. Businesses or social strategies may appear ineffective as they're neutralized by equal but opposing forces. Ambitious goals must wait for a more supportive atmosphere. Your best course of action now is to affirm friendly relations, avoid being drawn into questionable schemes, do not make a grab for position, Use the existing polarity to emphasize the need for more cooperative conditions or for far-sighted differentiations. This will help you organize well-ordered working systems. 
The contradiction that exists in family life and personal relationships is classic in form. The divergent will of siblings, for instance, are in a state of opposition. Naturally, in the larger cycle, these blood ties will become the basis for union, but for the present they are opposed. I read a bunch of these and it was like sisters living in the same house that are kind of fighting or, or opposing one another, but they need to, because they won't be living in the same house, because they're moving away from one another, but that opposition eventually leads them back to one another. There now exists an atmosphere for misunderstandings or estrangement between men and women. Their inherent polarity is at its peak as they retreat into their own individual natures. Bridging the gap that is now present is a profound moment in relationships. It's the eternal dance of the sexes, the prerequisite for significant union. Such contradictions only highlight the pleasant possibilities of exchange. Use small, gentle influences now to bring about this mutual accord. I, I was thinking of that more, or I like to think about that when I read this in the I Ching, about the, like the inner male and female, or the two sides of, of the self, or the yin and the yang inside each of us. But it could, it could also mean something in personal relationships to outer personal relationships. This is a time when you may meet with the dualism in your own nature. You may appear indecisive or equivocal to others as you weigh contradicting viewpoints. Never before have you been able to see both sides so clearly. Arbitrary predispositions such as patriotism, clannishness, fixed ideas of principle, or class prejudice may become less important as you're in your life as you begin to see things in the larger overview. The struggle between good and evil, life and death, and all such opposites may appear to be simply the natural interaction of the great forces in the universe as you develop the perspective of the sage. This sense of oneness or wholeness in a world of contradiction can bring you great depth of character and peace of mind. This is a time when you may meet with the dualism in your own nature. You may appear indecisive or equivocal to others as you weigh contradicting viewpoints. Never before have you been able to see both sides so clearly. Arbitrary predispositions such as patriotism, clannishness, fixed ideas of principle, or class prejudice may become less important in your life as you begin to see things in the larger overview. The struggle between good and evil, life and death, and all such opposites may appear to be simply the natural interaction of the great forces in the universe as you develop the perspective of the sage. This sense of oneness or wholeness in a world of contradiction can bring you great depth of character and peace of mind. That sounds nice. I feel like in the United States anyway, and I think many places around the world, this clannishness, the fixed ideas, the us versus them has been so strong and important. And maybe there is a bigger picture that can help us find a sense of oneness or wholeness in the world. I mean, that's just a, a wonderful thing to think as a possibility of the newness of this time. So we got two changing lines, the second line and the sixth line. And the second line talks about an unexpected or accidental encounter with an important idea or person will benefit you. There's a natural attraction at work here, although a direct approach would have been inconceivable or impossible. And I just love this so much. It's like something's aligning that you could never predict. Like there's an alignment, but you couldn't like 
look it up online and figure this out. This is something that's going to have to sort of run into you. And um, it will benefit you. It will benefit both of you. But you, you can't know about it. And that's just sort of like a wonderful little surprise, like running into someone that has a, you have a mutual friend and you run into each other. But not only do you have a mutual friend, but you're both working on a project and you didn't know it, something like that. And the top line is, misunderstandings and mistrust have caused you to lose all perspective. You see your true friends as enemies and become defensive. You will, however, see your mistakes and the tensions will be relieved. Just when contradictions are at their worst, they begin to ebb. Good fortune. Now that, that one has a lot of different interpretations and I, I particularly love this one because it's very descriptive. Okay. Nine at the top means isolated through opposition. One sees one's companions as a pig covered with dirt, as a wagon full of devils. First, one draws a bow against him. Then one lays the bow aside. He is not a robber. He will woo at the right time. As one goes, rain falls. Then good fortune comes. I'll explain more, but I just love this. It comes up a lot. One sees one's companion as a pig covered with dirt, as a wagon full of devils. It's just so descriptive. A little translation of that. A man misjudges his best friends, taking them to be as unclean as a dirty pig and as dangerous as a wagon full of devils. He adopts an attitude of defense. But in the end, realizing his mistake, he lays aside the bow, perceiving that the other is approaching with the best intentions for the purpose of close union. Thus the tension is relieved. The union resolves the tension just as falling rain relieves the sultriness preceding a thunderstorm. All goes well, for just when opposition reaches its climax, it changes over to its antithesis. I think there's something about misjudging, misseeing mis something, and that all is well in the end. This is fire over metal, the conflict between inner form and outer radiance that creates a polarizing tension. The ideal realizing person reflects this by mobilizing his ability both to accept and reject. Hold the heart fast and take the risk. Change the mandate of heaven. Isn't that lovely? That this conflict appears on the outside is a conflict between inner form and outer radiance and there's a polarizing tension and this polarizing tension is is not wrong one because i love the poetry of this one more diverging alone this is for the top line diverging alone the orphan and the fox you see the heavenly swine covered with muck, the chariot carrying dead souls. First you stretch the bow, then you loosen the bow. Those you are confronting are definitely not outlaws. Seek a marriage alliance. Going on, you meet the rain. Wise words, the way will open. This is one more. The doubt of the flock disappears. Ye, the archer, comes to your aid. Alone and isolated, you see the people around you as dirty pigs or ghosts. At first you are hostile, but then you relax. Where does this hostility come from? These people are not trying to hurt you. As you begin, the falling rain will wash the past away, and the way will open. The time of isolation is over. Isn't that lovely, too? The time of isolation is over. And interestingly, I used a card to mark that spot. And it says, honoring adversity. This is one of those mantra cards. 
A fire reveals a path of renewed direction once the burning is complete. Honoring adversity, I like that. All of these move to 51, and 51 is shock. It's also shake, rousing, and thunder. And I'm just going to read this one because I just think it's just a wonderful thing. Shake is rain. Shake, shock, arousing is rain and the spirit that brings the spring rains. Violent thunder from beneath that rouses all to new growth after the dead time of winter. Like we couldn't get a more perfect transition. Of course, we're transitioning into spring. Our 38 opposition moves to 51. Shake, rousing. I love it. It's a dynamic process, the spark of yang born in the breast of yin, the thunder rituals and incantations that inspire both terror and joy. As a spirit guide, Shake is the arouser and exorcist, driving out the old and rousing and opening the field of the new. He's flamboyant and sexual, luxurious, frightening and inspiring green and full of juice. He is motion and moves all things. He is an emerging dragon. In the body, Sheik operates through the liver, governing the free flow of energy and emotion. It stimulates everything that moves in the body, purifies the blood, links eyes and sexual organs, desire and anger, vision and motivation, giving the capacity to act decisively. This describes your situation in terms of a disturbing and inspiring shock. The way to deal with it is to rouse things to new activity. Reimagine what you're confronting. Let the shock shake up your old beliefs and begin something new. Don't lose your depth and concentration. What at first seems frightening will soon be a cause to rejoice. This is pleasing to the spirits. Through it, they will give you success, effective power, and the capacity to bring the situation to maturity. The thunder rolls and everyone's frightened. You can hear them screaming in terror. Then the fright changes to joy, and you hear everyone laughing and talking. The sudden shock spreads fear for 30 miles around. Don't lose your concentration. Hold the libation cup calmly so the dark wine arouses and calls the spirits. I know that was a lot of interpretations, but I was excited about all of these. There's so many ways of thinking of it. And for me, it all feels like a call to action not a big action, but a call to moving into spring with a sense of letting ourselves see clearly both sides of a thing and letting that sense of wide open seeing through understanding oppositions, through understanding that there are always two ways to see a thing and that helps us find our balance in the center of that thing or that idea. And that we can use this in our relationships with other people. And as we feel ourselves emerging into a new sort of way of being post-pandemic and a new sort of way of being that we're making choices, at least I'm making choices based on a much better sense of my boundaries letting my needs be important. You know, this just even comes down to the whole way that I approach moving into the world with illnesses and how I don't just do things with a cold like I used to do, right? I will stay away from other people. I'll have that respect or that boundary for myself that I need more rest in that moment. And it really is a kind of new way of 
making sense of things in the world, if I'm not hell-bent on productivity, doing, 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 no matter what the cost is behind that, it's like I'm insisting on a different kind of world by participating in it differently. And that's a pretty small step to the changes that need to be made. But it's something. And so maybe as we move forward in this spring, there's something that feels like we're planting into this new season, into this potential for newness. Okay. I think that covers it for now. And I'm going to pull a couple of cards here. I've got three cards. I've got truth, humility, and communication. And I think that suits. If you liked this podcast and you would like to help me produce more art, writing, and creative work along with this podcast, please support me through Patreon. That's patreon.com slash watermoonstudios. I will see you next time for the full moon, the full pink moon. And I look forward to finding out what shows up for all of us between now and then. Bye for now.